But I want to preach on our blessed hope. And it's just the second part. It is the best thing that you could hear this day today. So we're going to go to John chapter 14, if you will. The Gospel of John. John 14 and verse 1. It's quoted a lot at funerals. It's a funny thing. But it doesn't apply really to funerals as much as it applies to a wonderful future event. Now, you can you can be encouraged by it, but let me show you something here. Um, once this thing goes forward, let's see if I can make it go forward. Uh, John chapter 14 and verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is Jesus speaking. In my Father's house. Where is that? That's in heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. And when the Bible uses the word many, it means so many, loads and loads. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go, he's going away. At that, at, at that point, he's telling them, I'm leaving. I go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, look at these next four words, I will come again. That's the second coming. But there's a great part there, he says, and receive you unto myself. I'll take you unto myself, that where I am, forever and ever after that, there ye may be also. Wonderful, amazing promise. Now, folks, there's so much fear, so much disappointment, uh, uh, even depression today because of all the news and the social media and the talk of the town. You can't go anywhere without everybody talking about coronavirus and about all the things going on. But this Bible event I want to speak on this morning stirs the heart of every Christian. It encourages us, it comforts us, it gives us joy, and it thrills us when we realize what is ahead for us. Now, what is the big event? The big event is not the coming of the Antichrist. That's not what I'm interested in wanting to focus on. I've read about it, I've learned about it, but it didn't thrill me one second. It's not about the coming tribulation. I don't want anybody to go through that. That's not something I'm looking forward to. Other people may be looking forward to it, looking for the Antichrist, but not the Bible believer, not the coming one world government and the economic collapse that's ahead of us, folks. That's not what thrills the believer. I don't want anybody to go through all of that. It's not even the mark of the beast, which I believe is already in motion and on its way into, uh, into every corner of society. This, none of that thrills the believer. You know what thrills the believer? It's the second coming of Jesus Christ at the Battle of Armageddon. That thrills the believer. Uh, now, I want to clear up some confusion about it. I want to clear up some things, especially about the rapture of Christians. So I'm going to start with prayer. Let's, let's bow in prayer. Father, I ask you to help open eyes and open hearts and open minds so that Christians, under the sound of my voice, Lord, would listen to your word and let it be more real than it's ever been before. I have, in my Christian life, I've watched as you've opened my eyes to things one after another that just all of a sudden just took a hold. And I said, yes, I can't wait. And what a great truth. And thank you, Lord, for what we're about to learn this morning. So I pray that in every uh, person's heart, there'll be one of two feelings, one of two emotions. One is of joy and thrill and excitement or of fear and of worry that they're that they're going to miss what I'm talking about and that their chance for being saved will one day be over. And I pray that today, God, somebody under the sound of this voice, God, even though it's electronic, even though it's on the internet, Lord, I pray that a, 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 a weight of, of concern and of um, uh, uh embarrassment and of fear would overwhelm uh, people who are not saved, not born again, and they would just stop playing, stop just riding along on the edge, but they would just finally say, Lord, I believe. With all my heart, I believe, and I trust, and I, I turn from my wicked ways, and I turn unto Jesus Christ, and I cry out, asking you to save me today. Lord, 40 years ago, that worked for me. It'll work for every person this morning, because you're still the savior of the world. I pray you would save somebody today and you'd encourage every Christian. And I pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Now, the second coming of Jesus Christ, I got news for you, is in two parts. Two. 
not one single event, but two parts. Uh, give you a, a, a bit of a chart here. Talk about the first part. The first part, Jesus said, is like a thief in the night. So that means it's secret. Uh, goes on, and this, this first part of the second coming of Jesus Christ is thrilling. It is. It thrills the believer that Jesus is coming back. Third thing it does is it's imminent. That's a nice big word, which means it's right at the door. It is just, just outside getting ready to come in. Jesus said, behold, uh, he cometh. Well, the angels said, behold, he cometh. And it is one more thing. The first part is instantaneous. It will happen in the twinkling of an eye, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15. But there's also a second part to this coming, which is very different. And the Bible says that we're to rightly divide the word of truth and know that one thing belongs to one event and another set of things belong to another event. They may be associated, they may overlap, but they're different. The second part is visible all over the world. It is, it is not secret. It doesn't just happen and then nobody knows about it except for believers. The, the second part is, once it comes up, is terrifying. I mean, when Jesus comes back, they, the, the people will scream in agony and fear of the Son of God coming back in judgment and great fire. First, you ought to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8 saying, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. It goes on, and the Bible says it's not imminent, it's not right at hand, it's at least seven years away. So even if you want to know when the second coming was, you can't know until the rapture occurs. And when the rapture occurs, then it's about seven years after that that you can count it, you can put your money in the bank and know Jesus will be coming back. The second part is well known. Uh, and the second part takes an entire day. It's not instantaneous. Uh, it's called the day of the Lord. When he comes back, circles this earth, uh, comes along there in uh, from Mount Sinai and then heads up the King's Highway straight to the Mount of Olives and then touches the hoof of his horse on the Mount of Olives and it splits and there's an earthquake like never before. And the beginning of the battle of Armageddon starts right then. Those two parts are different, folks. Jesus in the rapture comes for his people, comes from believers. At his second coming, he comes to a place. He doesn't come for people. He comes to Armageddon. He comes to judgment. Under the first part, Jesus, that, that rapture is called the blessed hope. That's the things that we're looking for. It's the thing that we're thrilled about, the thing we're excited about. The thing we're looking forward to. But the second part, once it comes up here, the devil's in the technology. It's the world's worst nightmare. So they are different, aren't they? I mean, it doesn't take too much to figure that out. That these two things are different. Now, somebody might say, isn't there only one second coming? I mean, otherwise, it's very confusing. Well, <laughs> no. Uh, shows great ignorance of the Bible. And I want to teach you something this morning. I hope that you take a moment. I need to get back here so that you can see me here. Shows great ignorance of the Bible. The Bible says in Matthew 22, 29, it says, ye do err not knowing the scriptures. And he was talking to some of the most religious people ever. He's talking to people who should have known the Bible uh, start to finish the Old Testament. Uh, the, uh, but that's the problem. The problem is most people pick and choose what they want to believe and what they want to read. And let me tell you, you're a Bible reader and a Bible believer, which means Genesis to Revelation. You don't pick and choose it. Well, I like Matthew. Well, I like Psalms. Well, I like Proverbs. No, be a Bible reader and a Bible believer. Because when you get deceived by these hustlers on the Internet and they start giving you all kinds of crazy ideas. I tell you, it's because you haven't read your Bible through start to finish and learned it. So the Bible says, I'm gonna take it to, you need to rightly divide the scriptures you're commanded to. Take your Bible now and go to 2 Timothy. You can leave John and go to the uh, go to 2 Timothy chapter two and verse 15. Almost Hebrews, you'll get to 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15. Once you get it there, look at it, it says study. Study, that's not a fun word, is it? I mean, we, wanna, we kinda wanna come to church and be passive. We want somebody who has studied to just tell us what to believe. That's not right. That's how come there are more cults every day. That's how come most churches die because the people in the church, chairs and pews are not studying their Bible themselves. Look at your Bible, it says study to show thyself. 
yourself approved unto God. A workman, it takes work that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, the truth is this. We need to rightly divide the word. That means pay attention. Pay careful attention to every word we read. Don't jump to careless conclusions like the cults do. Listen to the word. Sometimes you need to read it out loud. Listen to the words of scripture as if our sanity depends upon it, because it does. Separate different things from each other. Put them in their different places, just not where you want them to fit. You ever put together a puzzle? I'm sure you have. And when you're putting together that puzzle, what are you doing? You set all the pieces there, and then you put all the blue pieces over on one side, put the brown pieces down there, put the green pieces over there. And what are you doing? You're dividing up. You just don't put two pieces together because you like them. You don't put two pieces together in a position where you think they fit. No, no, no. They, they, they fit only in one place. And so you divide things up, and you say, this belongs here, and this belongs over there, and in this time frame, and with that people, ask yourself questions. What does this belong to? What, what is going on here that's different than over there? You're going to have to get used to testing what you think. Not everything that goes through your head is right. And you're going to have to rightly divide what you think you know so that you put all the pieces of the future into the right place in your thinking and your believing. And I'm afraid most people don't do that. They sit in front of their YouTubes and they sit on the Internet and uh, they let somebody else do all the study for them. Don't do that. Um, the, um, uh, there are, there are um, many events in the Bible, if I can get this up here, have more going on than what we imagine. Do you know the Messiah came to save Israel not once but twice? The, the Messiah is coming. He comes twice to save Israel. Now, that may blow people's mind, but, the, but it's, it's actually the, the thing that made Israel as a nation miss their Messiah. There's a wonderful picture drawn by Clarence Larkin, and uh, uh, it's absolutely fantastic. It just simply shows a, a, a prophet over in the corner there on the left-hand side. Um, that's an Old Testament Jew. And what he looked at out in the future were all the big events. He looked at the first mountain peak, if you notice that there of Calvary and the coming of the Son of God, the birth in Bethlehem. He saw, the, the Old Testament Jew, the Old Testament believer, saw the day of Pentecost. But he couldn't see time. Then across there, he saw also the Antichrist, the coming man of sin. He saw um, uh, the, uh, um, the, the, um, uh, the rebuilding of Israel and Jerusalem and the, uh, the, the rebuilt temple and saw the second coming of Jesus Christ, and saw the millennial kingdom, and the new heaven and new earth. All of that stuff's in the Old Testament. But you know what he missed? He missed the things that were in the valley, like Christianity, like the church. We, we kind of are, are, we're a conundrum. I mean, we don't even belong. We've been adopted. The Jews are the natural olive branches. We've been grafted in, folks. But, it didn't, but the Old Testament Jew didn't see the church didn't see the millennium like, like we can study and we can find now. Didn't see all the things that we can see. So when you turn it on its side like that is, all of a sudden you can see there's time between the events and that there is a first coming and later on a second coming. The first coming, he came as a suffering savior, didn't he? They called him king, but it was a mockery. Ah, his second coming, he's king of kings and lord of lords. Nobody's going to mock him on that day. Uh, do you know, the first time Jesus came, he came to save souls on the cross. The second time, he will save the nation of Israel from the Antichrist at Armageddon. And unless you rightly divide the word of Scripture, you'll overlook those two differences, and you'll make it all one, which is exactly what the Jews did. They looked at Jesus as he was, and they went, you're not the king we're looking for, because they couldn't comprehend. Isaiah 53 was just as valid as Daniel chapter 9. And so when, when they looked for a king, they missed the Savior, and they went to hell. Don't you be like that. So let me just say, if you believe that there are two comings, and there are, by the way, you already know that things you think are one can be two. Remember that when we deal with the rapture. Let me give you an example here. There's another example. Isaiah chapter, and you should go to two places. With your left hand, go to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, and with your right hand, you need to go to Luke chapter 4. 
Isaiah 61. We're going to read there, Isaiah 61 in verse 1. And also with your right hand, find Luke chapter 4. And Jesus is going to read out of Isaiah. And I want you to see exactly what he does when he's reading this, this prophetic book. So Isaiah 61, Jesus is going to read this in a moment. But let's see what Isaiah wrote. Isaiah 61 verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Now notice the me, me. Jesus is going to tell you, that's me. That was written for me, the Messiah. But anyway, let me keep reading. He goes on. He says, he, God, has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, which is exactly what Jesus did. To proclaim the liberty, proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim, verse 2, the acceptable year of the Lord. Things are open. Things are acceptable. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Now notice, go back there. Watch these words exactly. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I want you to see what is right after the word Lord. A comma. Circle that. Because what follows that pause is, and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, when the Messiah comes, is he going to do both at the same time? Let's watch Luke. Luke chapter 4. And I want you to run down to verse 18, Luke 4, 18. Jesus is reading. He says, the spirit of the Lord, if you want to look back in the previous verses, he's at a synagogue and he's reading before all those men in the synagogue. And he reads this verse. He, sa he reads the scripture. Let me go back to verse 17. He says, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, bingo, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Verse 19 is our important verse. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20, and he closed the book. He closed at a comma. He didn't keep reading. Because his first coming came to preach what was an acceptable time. Now is the time to get saved. And his second coming will be the day of the vengeance of our God. Do you notice that? So even though it's all in one sentence, there's a comma and Jesus rightly divided the word of truth so that we would know there are two comings. So there are also, let me just say this, two, there, well, let me just finish with this thought. There are two major passages we're gonna focus on this morning. We're going to focus on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, I wish we could go all the way to chapter 5, verse 11, because it all is one package. We're just going to look at the first half down to verse 17. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. So turn to 1 Thessalonians real quick. Because they tell of the resurrection of the body of those who died believing in Jesus and the snatching away of believers from the world faster than the blink of an eye. So uh, I want to talk about the chain of events of this thing called the rapture. We need to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'm going to read all uh, five verses here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Again, one of the clearest, most wonderful scriptures for the Christian that focus on the blessed hope. We looked at last week about looking for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 13. I'm going to read down to verse 17, and we'll go back verse by verse through this. Verse 13, Paul's writing to a church. He's writing to believers. Now watch this. But I would not have you to be ignorant. That's a good request. He says, I don't want you to miss what I'm about to teach you. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, what a powerful belief that is, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So that sleep doesn't mean snoring sleep, but it means death. Verse 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, he's preaching the word of God, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So these are the words that Christians need to use to comfort one another. We should not be comforting one another with, oh, I think I know who the Antichrist is. Oh, I think this company is selling the mark of the beast. That doesn't come for anybody. No. The fact that Jesus could come back at any moment, that comforts. So concerning the dead in Christ, right off the bat, go back to the verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not. Now, death is sorrowful. Death is grieving. Death is horrible. I mean, I know there are some people who wish for death. But the rest of us, man, we hate losing people. We, they, that's, that's a chunk of our life gone. And that's the end of their life. Folks, let me tell you, uh, Paul is going to speak to believers and say, we've got something that the world doesn't have. Born again by believers, not, not just everybody, but people who believe this Bible and have, have trusted Jesus Christ. Uh, we, have, we have something that overwhelms our sorrow. And Paul says, don't be ignorant of what I'm about to teach. It's easy to be ignorant of future events, ignorant of the resurrection, get caught up in the sorrow of losing someone to death. Even, you know, Christians are lulled into a kind of an apathy, a sleep, physical sleep, emotional sleep about everything going on. I hope you're not asleep, folks, because the things that are happening in our world have never happened before. Not like this. And so the most important thing for us is to go, are, are we ready? So, um, uh, by the way, uh, if, if you don't want to be ignorant, you're going to need to, uh, you, you're going to need to study the scriptures yourself. Now, I, I got lots of books and I read books. I read dozens and dozens of books, but there are videos and YouTubes out the wazoo about, uh, about the second coming, about the Antichrist and so on and so on. But let me ask you again. I asked you earlier. Have you ever just read your Bible through? Learn it. It's slow going. You're not going to be able to figure everything out. It may take you 20, 30 times to read your Bible through, but it'll stabilize you. People aren't going to come along and, and be able to deceive you so quickly like they do on YouTube, folks. The truth is most people, even Christians, are very ignorant of the scriptures. So no wonder they're confused about the rapture and the second coming. Um, uh, believers have hope. Notice what he says there again in verse uh, 13. Uh, he says, um, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. The implication is that we do have hope. We do have an expectation, confidence, and anticipation. Look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them, which also, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. What are we talking about here? This is, this is a, a gospel-based faith that we have. Verse 14 summarizes what you got to believe. Now, if you're Catholic or if you're a Protestant or if you're a Hindu or Muslim, there are thousands of things you've got to believe in order to be good enough to make your way before the presence of God. Not me, not the thief on the cross, not anybody who ever just reads their Bible. You know what I need to believe? Look at verse 14. It says, for if we believe, not even do. It's no doing at all. doesn't even imply if we get baptized. What a hoax. No, the truth is, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, if we believe that, I've never seen it. I don't know how it could ever happen. I just know it did. If we believe it. Even so, them which also sleep in Jesus, those who believed in Jesus before they died, will God also bring, bring with him. What does, what does that actually mean? Well, it means that we believe in a life after death, that the grave is not final, that death does not mean the end. See, we believe in a resurrection of dead bodies back to life one day. As crazy as that seems, our dead bodies are not going to stay dead. And all of those people that you buried over the years and you go to their grave and you constantly wish they were back, let me tell you, um, if they were saved, it's not over yet. 
You see, the gospel teaches that there is life beyond that grave and that we, listen, I got, I got, uh, let me just get to my next point here. We don't sorrow like the world does at death. Why? Now, we don't have a party. And we, we sorrow, but not like the world does, because our souls are saved from the coming wrath of God. That's the big deal. That's why I got saved. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. Somebody told me about hell, and I says, well, how do I get out of this? I want to switch trains. I want to change course. And they told me, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So, you know, that that my body didn't get saved. But my soul did. Secondly, our souls go up with death. Isn't that awesome? The Bible says, take your Bible. I love this scripture. I need you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You're in Thessalonians. Stay here, but go to the left and find 2 Thessalonians. Keep your right hand in that. Find 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 5. I said 2 Thessalonians. Thank you. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6. Paul is writing. And he says, therefore, we are always confident. We have assurance. We're not guessing. We have a confidence. We are always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, I'm stuck in this body right now, we are absent from the Lord. Hmm. So I'm not with him yet. Verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 8. We are confident still... I'm not just, I know I'm not with Jesus yet. I mean, that's obvious. But verse 8 says, I have the same confidence. I say, and willing, I'm rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wow. What happens to a believer when he dies? Well, the body goes into the grave, but the soul goes up to be with Jesus. We believe that. You know why I believe that? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Because Jesus is alive. Our bodies simply go to sleep at death. Now, that's a great, great truth. Um, uh, that's why we believe in burials, folks. Some people want to get cremated. Some people don't care what happens. Let me tell you, it's better to respect that body because that body's coming out again. Now, you can be cremated. You can die in an auto accident. You can die in a car wreck, an airplane wreck. doesn't matter. God's going to put you back together. But a Christian honors that body because that body's coming out of that grave again. So don't be too put out by, by holding your ground and saying, you know, I'd like to be buried. I'd like people to come and remember me by seeing a gravestone that this is not the end. I'm coming back. And you are if you're saved. So uh, not only is that, our bodies simply go to sleep at death. They're going to wake up one day. And one day soon, Jesus is going to change our bodies into new bodies. That's, that's brilliant, folks. So... There are two groups of Christians at the rapture. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse 15. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive, notice that first group, those of us who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. So there are two groups. The first one is those who are alive, we which are alive at his coming. And secondly, them which are asleep, they've already died. Their body is asleep. Uh, they both are going up in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. You say, where do you read that? I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you um, uh, in a moment here. But I want you to see that Christ's priority is to those who have died first. There has to be a resurrection um, uh, of the dead first. So we, we're not going to prevent, which means we're not going to get in the way. Up out of the grave go all of those people, uh, all of those bodies that were dead. Let me make something clear. Maybe you never thought about this, but when you die, you're not going to hang around your body. You're going to be absent from that body and present with the Lord. So when that body comes up and, and those who have died, their souls come down with Jesus, they're put back together. I think that's absolutely brilliant. Jesus never lost anything, ever. And so he, when he saved us, he saved us by, by giving us eternal forgiveness, eternal life in our soul, regenerate our spirit, and one day he's going to come back and regenerate our bodies and going to put us all back together like we, were, like we should have been first. Sin ruined it all. Satan wants to keep ruining it. 
but Jesus is going to fix it all. That's why I follow him, because nobody fixes lives like Jesus Christ. So Christ's first priority is to the dead. Uh, and then there's a rapture of the living. That's why there's a resurrection and a rapture. Just bing, bang, one right after the other. So let me go over the sequence, the chain of events of the rapture, starting in verse 16. Because verse 16 and 17, bang, bang, is all you need to know about the coming rapture. For the Lord himself, watch these two verses, and then we'll go back verse by verse, bit by bit. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him. There's the word rapture is from the word caught up, snatched away, shall be caught up with them, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Did you notice that? Did you notice that? Folks, this is, uh, the, uh, this is like a roller coaster ride. I mean, if you've ever been... Uh, on some of these crazy things they have called roller coasters. I mean, not the little bitty ones you put babies on, but I'm talking about the ones that take you up about 250 meters, 300 meters into the air, and then drop you on a track and you think you're going to die. Folks, that's what's going to happen to believers. The most exciting thing ever. Um, I've seen people on these uh, at these fun fairs. They have these, uh, it looks like elastic bands, and they put somebody in a seat and uh, they pull them back, pull them back, pull them back, and they put, put people inside there, strap them in, and then let them go. <laughs> you know what that is? That's what it's going to feel like at the rapture. It's going to be the most thrilling, but it won't stop. <laughs> You're not going to go and then come back to earth and oh, no, no, bounce around. No, no, no. It is a ride that a Christian is going to have, and it is the thing that we look forward to. You can't compare it to anything on this earth. And, and it starts with the Lord Jesus. We can't bring in the kingdom. We can't tell him it's time to come. He comes when he comes, and it's a surprise visit. The Bible says the Lord Jesus himself descends from his throne in heaven. So think about it. Jesus enters this universe traveling faster than the speed of light, and he's fulfilling that promise. I'm just going to quote it. Remember what he said in John? Well, let's go ahead and go there. Hold your place here in First Thessalonians. We'll go to a couple of places. John chapter 14. John 14, because I need you to see these words for what they really are talking about. John 14 and verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Don't worry about whatever trouble you're going through, whatever trouble other people are going through. Let not your heart be troubled. You're going to experience troubles. You're going to experience sorrows, but don't let your heart be overwhelmed by them. Watch this. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Trust what I'm about to tell you, Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions. Why would he say that? Because that's what our focus is on. We're going home. If it were not so, I would have told you. Here's the best part. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, what does he say? I will come again. That's the second coming. But here's the part that we're focusing on for the Christian right now who's alive. And I will receive you. And I will take you unto myself that where I am forever, there will you be also. Um, uh, Jesus himself is descending from heaven back to earth. Secondly, all who have died in Christ are coming back with him. Once you look back there in verse 14 again, uh, sorry, verse 16. Oh no, verse 14. I need you to see this. If we believe that Jesus died, go back to first Thessalonians. <laughs> I have so much I want to say. I'm kind of like, oh, I want to finish. And yet I don't want to finish. I want to just teach this, make sure you get this. First Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 4, go back to verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we do. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus. Think about it. Those who also are dead after believing in Jesus. Was that a failure? Was it any good? It was perfect for them. Will God bring with him? By the way, doesn't say what Jesus bring with him because Jesus is God. So when God comes back, when Jesus comes back, he's bringing the souls of those people whose bodies are in the grave. He's going to put them back together again. So the Lord Jesus descends at faster than the speed of light from heaven. All who have died in Christ for the last 2,000 years are coming back with him. And Jesus lets out a shout. Isn't that cool? 
I mean, Jesus gets excited about some things. I think we should too. I've been in some church meetings where the shouting got so excited, not because they were angry, because they were thrilled. That's not a bad thing. Some people shout because they're angry. Some people shout because they're thrilled. Make sure you keep the right shout. Jesus lets out a shout. I wonder what he's shouting, all right? I need you to go to Revelation chapter four. Still holding your place there in First Thessalonians. Go to Revelation chapter four. Revelation chapter four. And when you get there, look at verse one. <clears throat> Revelation four and verse one. After this, and this is the apostle John. He's being shown uh, uh, the future. He's being shown first the condition of the churches throughout church history. And then he's being instantly transported to heaven. And watch how it happens. It's a rapture. Verse one, chapter four, verse one. After this, after all that he had seen in chapter two and three, I looked, John says, and behold, a door was opened. Where? Up in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were, uh, here's that word, trumpet, talking with me, which said, come up hither, come up here, and I will show thee uh, things which, that, which must be hereafter. And how long did it take him? Not years, not months like NASA. Immediately I was in the spirit. Behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat upon the throne. So Jesus lets out a shout. I got words for you. Uh, Jesus cries out and says, come up here. Um, go to Song of Solomon. I really want to bless you this morning. I want to show you that there's more to the Bible than just what you read on the surface. Song of Solomon is right after the book of Proverbs. So you get Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, then comes Psalm, Song of Solomon. It's, it's a love song. Solomon wrote about a relationship that he was having with his wife and his bride at the time. And in Song of Solomon chapter 2, I want you to see a comparison here. Wish I could go through the whole chapter, but for time, I'm going to have to ask you, to read Song of Solomon, not just, and it is about King and his bride, but it applies to King Jesus and his bride, the Christians. Song of Solomon, chapter two and verse eight, starting there in verse eight. <clears throat> the bride, the woman is writing these words. She says, the voice of my beloved. I hear his voice. Behold, look at those words. Behold, he cometh. Apostle John quotes that in Revelation a couple of times, but anyway. Behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains. Now, that's a lot of distance to cover. Skipping upon the hills. Okay, so he's really excited. Verse 9. My beloved is like a roe and a young heart. We would say a small deer. Behold, I see him. He standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows. He shows himself through the lattice. So if you've ever had a lattice... Uh, blind in your house and you look out that lattice, you kind of make a bigger space and you, you can see out and people can see in. He shows himself just briefly through the lattice, it says. Verse 10, and then my beloved spake and said unto me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. So the picture is wonderful of the love that God has for his bride, that when Jesus comes back to this world, he's going to, in an instant, say, it's time, come on up, come on up. Now, let me describe what this symbolizes, and, and it's almost in our wedding ceremonies, but it's kind of old-fashioned, and we have a lot of fluff and a lot of excess baggage that's in our ceremonies, but a lot of wedding ceremonies are founded on this biblical truth. Let me tell you what the story was for a, a Jewish uh, believer in the Old Testament. <clears throat> a woman growing up, looking forward to getting married like, like it is a good thing to do. She's alone in her life. And then out of nowhere, a man approaches her because he's, he's seen her, he's watched her like Boaz watched Ruth and he fell in love. There's nothing wrong with that. So he says, well, you need to get to know each other. You need to spend years. I don't know about all that. All I know is this. Throughout time, sometimes it was pretty quick where somebody just said, you know what, I love you. Now watch this. A man approaches her because he's fallen in love with her. And he makes a promise to her that one day he's going to come back and marry her. You know, they used to do this in wartime. 
uh, man and woman would fall in love very quickly and they'd promise after the war they'd get married or maybe they got married before the war, just depending on timing. And so they would spend a brief time out of time together and then he would leave. And they stay in touch through letters and they were bound together by the spirit, by their spirit. Every day after he left, she would look for him to return and yet he delayed. She does not know why, but he delays and delays and delays. But she never stops waiting, and she looks for him to return every day. While she waits and watches, she keeps herself clean and her garments pressed and ready to wear on her special wedding day. Wars rage around her, famines come and go, yet she still waits and looks for her groom to return to her. Then one day, while she wasn't looking, he shouts from the distance, and a trumpet blows. You know what the purpose of that trumpet was? It was to call all those who were invited to the wedding to quickly assemble. Don't take your time. It's time to gather. And in that moment, he comes in for her, sweeps her up and carries her to the wedding and then to his home that he has prepared for her. I mean, there's no delay. In a moment, he says, I'm back. Come away with me. And at that moment, she can't go out and buy a dress. She can't go get things all ironed up. She had to have her life in order. She had to have things ready and boom, he says. And that's why you get, you get the, some, some uh, corny old fashioned uh, uh, weddings where the groom comes in and sweeps up that bride and carries her away because it's a picture of the rapture. And we don't even know it. So Jesus lets out that shout. Second Corinthians 11, two, if you don't believe this, just don't go there, but just trust me. Paul says, I'm jealous over you Christians with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you, I've engaged you to one husband that I, that I may present you as a chaste virgin, as a prepared bride for Christ. So one day we're gonna be married. We're the bride of Christ. We're gonna be with him forever and ever. Now, after that shout, an angel blows that trumpet, now, only saved are going to hear it. The unsaved are going to hear thunder. Uh, John chapter 12. Go to John chapter 12. I wish I could show you. I got, if you want a copy of my notes, you're welcome to them. But even then, there are about one one hundredth of all the scriptures that you could go through learning about the intricacy and the awesomeness of what's going to happen at the rapture. John chapter 12 and verse 27. Gospel of John 12, 27. Jesus says this, he's kind of praying. He says, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. He's getting ready to go to the cross. Father, he continues to pray, glorify thy name. Verse 28 goes on. Then came there a voice, circle that word, from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it... It only thundered. Others said an angel must have spoken to him, but nobody heard the words except Jesus and maybe the other disciples, but the majority of people around, all they heard was thunder. Now this is cool. Let me tell you what happens at the rapture. It'll be like a bomb going off in the distance, thunder. There'll probably be a flash of light all over the world, a brilliant flash of light to divert the attention. One minute you're with somebody, and uh, they're looking at you, or maybe they're working alongside you. They're outside or inside or in the car or whatever. And a blinding flash and a, a bone-rattling roar of thunder. And then they look back and you're gone. You're gone. Woohoo! The whole world's going to be distracted for the moment. And, and for years after that, trying to figure out what happened, what happened, what happened. By the way, they won't care. They really won't worry about where we go. But in an instant, this is the greatest part of all. Well, it leads to the greatest part. In an instant, millions and millions and millions of graves burst open. The dead bodies of believers are going to break out. They've been resurrected back to life again, and they race up into the sky, and they're instantly changed into new bodies that are just like Jesus's. You say, where is that? First Corinthians. Go back to the left, find First Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. 
One of the reasons why we have to die is because our flesh and our blood is not going to ever walk into heaven. That's why John was transported in the spirit to heaven. He, nobody walks into heaven with their flesh. You got to get new bodies. First Corinthians 15 and verse 50, I believe. Yes. Now this I say, as if to say, pay attention, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption, that's corruption is things that die, inherit incorruption. You can't just patch up a dying body and expect it to last forever. Verse 351, behold, I show you a mystery. I'm going to explain to you what has been mysterious but is now going to be clear. We shall not all sleep. We, 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 he says, we Christians, and he's talking about including himself, we shall not all sleep, talking about death, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. A blink of an eye is slow. The twinkling of an eye is like one fifteenth of a second. It is blindingly flash, uh, fast. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, remember that trump is going to go on, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible body must put on, start wearing, and in, put on incorruption, an undying body. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this, immort this corruption shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. No more death at all. Let me show you a picture. I love this. It's a picture. If you were, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think anybody realizes how awesome the rapture is going to be because it would be absolutely awesome to be at a, at a uh, grave yard and all of a sudden those graves burst open and people that have been dead for 500 years, 300 years, I don't know how long, whatever, and out of, out of those graves go up perfect bodies. Going to be just like Jesus Christ. And then if you're saved, now the unsaved aren't going to see this, they're just going to see empty graves. And um, uh, the rest, uh, if you're there, a split second after those bodies take off, you're following them. That is the thrill of the Christian that we which are alive, we follow them. Go back to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. Let's finish this up. Even though we've just begun. I've got to finish. Verse 17 says, then we which are alive. I got I to tell you, circle that word, we. He doesn't say, then you which are alive. Way out there in the future. Paul is writing a book that's going to be read in 2020. He's written a book that's written to all believers. But he doesn't say to you as if he's going to die and miss the rapture. Not at all. He says, then we which are alive and are remaining shall be caught up together with them. We're going with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Next, we go up. Those of us who are alive at the rapture, we go up. All are caught up, snatched away, kind of like a, a, a mom. And she's got her kids with her. And uh, she heads out. She's just finished shopping. And she heads out. And she's got to cross the street in order to get back to the parking lot or the car. And the kid runs out there into the street. And most every mom has a longer arm than they show. And in a quick blink of an eye, she grabs that child and pulls him back onto the sidewalk there. She snatches him from danger. And that's what Jesus is going to do. He will catch us back. He will receive us unto himself. He'll snatch us away like a thief in the night. And what's most amazing, we're going to meet Jesus. Uh, a lot of people are worried about meeting Peter. Uh, people are looking forward to meeting their grandmother. I'm looking forward to meeting people that have gone on ahead of me. I look forward to meeting them. But that's not who I'm first going to meet, especially at the rapture. We're going to meet Jesus in the air. That's why some of the best songs are songs about uh, uh, going to heaven and meeting Jesus in the air, folks. They're happy songs. They're thrilling songs. They're hopeful songs. I mean, just think about in a in a split 15th of a second, 200 million people phew, fly. You say, that's not possible. You see, I believe the Bible. 
I believe that Jesus one day was standing there with his disciples and then he took off. The, world sa- the, the word says that he ascended into heaven and they watched him go up to the clouds. And those and there are two angels, two angels, looking at those disciples says, as you have seen him go up, you will so see him come back. And, and like I said just a moment ago, uh, a little while ago, we'll never be separated from again. Right now, we're absent from him. Right now, we're having to live everything by faith. We're having to just do things the Bible way. One of these days, faith will become sight. And Paul looked forward. He included himself, which is just breathtaking. Uh, no wonder he had no fear. He expected Jesus to come back at any moment. That's why he lived uh, on the edge, because at any moment Jesus could come back, and he'd rather be doing something exciting than boring. He'd rather give his life for something that matters. And that's, folks, you know why there are fewer and fewer missionaries today? I got I, One of the reasons is because very few people actually look forward to the rapture. They're worried about the Antichrist. They're busy prepping and building bunkers, and they're, they're stocking up food instead of sowing the word of God into people's hearts and willing to go to places where they might kill you. You know what? It doesn't matter. My dead body's coming back up again. And if I'm alive at the rapture, even if I'm in prison, I'm going up. Paul looked forward to the rapture and then is back to heaven. Up we go. We've been caught away, snatched away, uh, and we're going to heaven. And while we're there, folks, Hell is breaking loose on earth. Now, I drew a quick picture, and I'm not going to go through this whole thing. If you want a copy of it, I can give you all the scriptures to go with it. But you are over here. You start there. You're in the current age of grace. Since the cross, things have been different. You're Jew, Gentile, wicked, good, doesn't matter who you are. You get saved by believing in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. You don't try to be a good Jew. You don't try to be a good Irishman or Irish woman. You try to be a sinner who comes to Christ for salvation. And by faith, he saves you, makes you completely whole. And then one day soon, there's a rapture and we're out of here. We head up to the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage supper up in heaven. That's a whole nother couple of messages. But there's hell on earth, the reign of the Antichrist on earth. You will not be here, folks. Well, I get to see the Antichrist. You might run into him, but he won't have power yet. The beginning, the seven years tribulation is not to save Gentiles, it's to save Israel. Now, Gentiles do get saved, but the church is out of here, folks. And the tribulation starts at the rapture. But at the end of those seven years, there's the revelation of the Son of God when he comes back at the Battle of Armageddon and he begins the millennial kingdom of heaven on earth. All of that is something to look forward to. That's the plan. You know, I hear these politicians saying, he doesn't have a plan. Oh, he doesn't have a plan. I know God has a plan. And no matter what's going on, it's working out perfectly. So don't get caught over in this side. Don't miss the age of grace where you've been pleaded with by this pastor and other people, begged, and you've been pleaded with, you've been been talked to and given the gospel week after week. Don't sit there and say, oh, well, when it gets really bad, then I'll consider it. Or, well, when, when, uh, if, 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 the, if I see the one world government, if they start pushing the mark of the lead, you're waiting too long. If you find yourself when the Antichrist is in control, if you find yourself and they're passing out the, the mark of the beast, it's too late and you won't be able to get saved. God will mess with your mind, the Bible says. He'll send strong delusion. You must be saved now. So at any moment... Once it comes up, at any moment, obviously the devil is at work. The Lord Jesus is personally going to come back for his people. All who have died in Christ are coming back with him. They're already dead. Their bodies are in the grave, but their souls are with Jesus in heaven. They've been transported there. They're coming back to get their new bodies. And Jesus will loudly call all born-again believers to himself. I don't know. He might just call your name. Would that thrill you? I mean, when he shouts, he's going to call names. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and I know them. The idea, the implication is he might say, Craig, my wife will hear Nita. I won't hear her name being called. I'll hear mine. 
and he will call us a shout, come up hither. And the archangel is going to blow a trumpet. It's going to distract the world, but he's calling to a wedding and the world doesn't get to go. Millions of graves are going to burst open. The dead bodies of those believers are going to be resurrected back to life. If we believe that Jesus came back from the dead, we can believe it's going to happen with all believers. And then those who are still alive, we get caught up meeting Jesus in the air. And then it's on to heaven for the next seven years. It'll be absolutely mind-bogglingly fantastic. There'll be some tears in heaven. There'll be some shame for not living much for God, not having anything to show for your Christian life, but it'll still be heaven while there's hell still on earth for the next seven years. You do not want to wait. Now, by way of conclusion, let me just finish this up. Where will you be when this happens? What are you going to be doing? If you think you can wait until it gets really bad, you're wrong. There's no waiting. Now is the right time. If you think you can ignore this and just call this a fairy tale, I got news for you. You're going to be rudely awakened, but you won't know how to make heads or tails. You won't be able to add two plus two on that day. I warn you, one day, if you don't believe this stuff, one day you will believe some of the most fanciful cock and bull story ever dreamed up when 200 million people disappeared. You'll believe aliens came and got us. You'll believe, uh, I don't know, there's some military weapon was used. You'll believe anything except the Bible. There's no second chances. You've got a second chance right now. I know what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be comforting, encouraging others. Bible, we read that, wherefore comfort one another with these words. I want to encourage some Christians this morning. I want to encourage, I want you, we've got sky, we've got clouds, beautiful. It could be today. Don't you dare say, oh, the Antichrist isn't here yet. Oh, all the signs aren't here. No, no, no. All this is just the beginning. It's not the timing isn't right yet. God will do it all on schedule. And the thing that starts it off is not the mark of the beast. It's the rapture. So encourage one another. Um, serve God. I'm supposed to be serving God instead of this world. I know I've got a, uh, I've, I've worked jobs all my life and you have bosses, you have banks to pay, bank bills to pay and so on and so forth. But they're not your life. I serve God. That's why I'm a preacher here in Ireland. I pray almost every day. I pray for somebody to surrender, to go and serve God even more fervently somewhere in this world, give their lives would you be willing to do that? If Jesus is coming back, you don't have time. You can't wait for the next 30 years before you decide you need to start getting ready to serve now. And then we need to be looking forward to and expecting that moment when Jesus, look forward to that. I'm getting very tired of everybody looking forward to the election. I'm looking forward, because that's a week and a half away. They're looking forward to the Antichrist. They're looking forward to economic collapse. That stuff can come and go. I am looking, looking for the appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. But before he comes, I need to be listening. Don't be dull of hearing. You know, if you're spending all your time watching the television or watching YouTube and all this stuff, and it just gets duller and duller, nobody can move you for spiritual things. Let me tell you, I wonder, I wonder whether you can be able to hear that. Now, if you're saved, you will. He'll shout loud enough, but boy, listen. I'm not looking for a sign. I'm listening for a shout. I pray you are too. No wonder Jesus said you must be born again because it's that big a deal. Your soul, listen, all this is for you. Everything that, that Jesus has done and will do is for you. He's gonna save the nation of Israel. He'd like to save you. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Father, in this brief moment, I pray that the people who are listening online and maybe later on the day, maybe at another time than I would ever know, they're watching this, their heart would stop and they would just be afraid. They're not ready. They don't even know what it means to be born again. They didn't even know it was in the Bible. But your, your son said it, said it to a very religious man named Nicodemus, marvel not that you must be born again born of the spirit, not of water, not of the flesh, not of a church, but of the spirit. God, would you please save somebody by, by them realizing they just need to cry out in, in desperate faith. It's not a simple, 
Well, I just believe. No, no, it's a, I, I can't help but believe. I desperately, desperately call out, kind of like, kind of like calling on a radio, SOS, save me, picking up the phone, dial 999, help me, get somebody here. And if you believe that there's a God on the other side of the line who will answer and will save your soul, he will give you the new life, give you eternal life. Dear Christian, is there not somebody worth saving, worth giving the gospel to, worth praying for and talking to and making sure they're saved before this all happens? Because it could be today. Lord, bless this message to people's hearts and to, the, to, to our church and to whoever watches this thing, God, because our world needs not people looking for the Antichrist, but people who are excited about the soon coming Jesus Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going